Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, I'd like to thank everybody for coming today. Thank you so much for being here. And also for those that are watching on, at, uh, at home, there's a lot of people that have told me that they're either going to be out of town or that they're dealing with COVID issues or that uh, they don't want to take a, take a risk. And so I'm so thankful for you guys that are watching from home as well. I'd like to welcome you to Real Church. Um, listen, the really, really attractive young man that was up here lighting the candle uh, is my brother. Uh, that was my brother, Jimmy. Uh, he and I have the same hairdo. My brother Jeff got all the hair and we got all the brains. So, uh, you know, there's only so many heads that can be perfect and the other ones all need hair on them. So here we are. So and this is his wife, Melinda. Uh, I'm so thankful. I don't think it's a coincidence that we're talking today uh, about the topic that we're talking about because we're talking about agape love today, uh, the, the fourth candle in the anticipation and I have to be honest with you, and um, uh, my, my brother and his wife uh, were kind of like a, um, uh, they went before me, and I was able to watch them, and I was able to see them. I, I was able to see, and I've told them this before, but I was able to see what a great marriage looked like, okay, from them. And I knew what I wanted and what I didn't want. Um, and so they helped teach me that. Uh, in addition to that, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence because um, Jimmy and Melinda are, are two of the uh, most giving people that I know. Uh, for instance, um, they are the go-to people in the time of need. Uh, my brother and his wife met a couple uh, at a tailgating uh, uh, football game and flippantly uh, mentioned uh, they were talking to this young couple and the young couple were talking about how they needed to sell their condo and get out of their condo. And my brother said, well, hey, listen, if you guys ever need a place to stay, let me know. Um, and they called them, and they needed a place to stay, and they let them know. And my brother and his wife uh, took them in for many months, including their dog. <laughs> and my brother has two cats that he loves. He's kind of weird like Lynn. Uh, he likes cats. <clears throat> so he's a cat guy. He's a cat guy. So um, I, I made fun of Lynn for, uh, gosh, the last nine or ten years. I've known him about how he's a cat person, uh, and I now have a brother that's a cat person. So when I say cat person, I mean wearing cat shirts and posting Instagram pictures of his cats and thinking about getting a camera so that he can watch the cats during the day, okay? He works upstairs at his home, but he wants to watch the cats downstairs, all right? So he's a cat person. They are the go-to people. Back whenever the tornado happened uh, to me in 1999, it was my brother and his, and his wife and my other brother and his wife that were there for me to begin with. My mom and dad couldn't get there. They were in Washington. They were trying to get back, and they were the ones that were there for me leading the way. There was a flood in Nashville you guys may have heard of. And When I called my brother and asked him about the flood, he wasn't at his home. You know where he was? He was out helping people. He was out helping people. My brother and his wife, they do a thing where they go and they sleep with homeless people overnight in Nashville. Okay, they sleep with homeless people and they help them and they minister to them and they feed them and they give them give them clothing. Uh, they are so compassionate to the less fortunate. And uh, I think they're a great example of what agape love truly is. And so today for them, this is just going to be a refresher. 
all right? For you, you may be learning something new, but for them, they literally probably could come up here and preach this message. So, Jimmy, I'm so thankful for you. I love you. You know I love uh, you and Melinda both. Um, Melinda's known me since I was, I think since I was in third or fourth grade. I'm not sure what, what time, but around then. And so she has seen me uh, mostly grow up. Uh, she's still praying that I grow up the rest of the way, but as of right now, she's seen that. So, Anyway, thanks so much for doing that, y'all. Listen, what is this anyway? So, so uh, different churches do Advent. Um, and Advent, here, here's what Advent is. I like doing it here because it kind of brings us back to the focus, to the main focus of what the church is all about. Can I tell you that sometimes what churches do is, is they get so caught up in the music and the lights and, the, and whatever else, they, they actually miss the text of the scripture and they miss the real reason for the reason Jesus came, he died. And he rose again for us. They missed that. And I never want to miss that. I always tell our worship team, I don't ever want to be rock and roll Jesus, okay? Uh, Contemporary's fine. Let's not do rock and roll Jesus, though. And so the reason I like doing Advent here is because I think it brings us back into focus. Now, Advent is, is really what I've told you before and what it is, is the anticipation, okay? Whenever I was growing up, I used to... I used to want uh, to open my presents early, okay, and I would take the gifts and I would shake them. It was so funny. My daughter was at the house last night, and she was like, well, uh, uh, what, what gifts did you guys get, get, you know, me? And I said, well, we got you a couple of things. I'm not going to tell you. And she said, well, where are they at? She's 27. Where are they at? I said, well, they're under the tree. She goes, I'm going to go shake them. I said, no, you're not going to shake them. You're not shaking them. And so, but what is that? You know what that is? That's an anticipation. It's the anticipation. And so what it does is, what Advent does is right after Thanksgiving, you begin to focus your mind. You begin to focus your mind. You begin to focus your heart. And you begin to focus on that anticipation. Anticipation of what? Anticipation of celebrating what it is that Christ has done for us. And this Thursday uh, uh, on the 24th uh, at 4 o'clock, we will be doing that here. We will be wrapping up our Christmas season, and hopefully ushering you into an evening and a day the next day to celebrate what Christ has done for you and the fact that he came, he humbled himself and came. So today we are talking about, about love, and we're talking about agape love. And I want to read the text to you we have on the screen. If you'll go ahead and pull that up there. It's, first, it's from the, right, right past the text that, that Melinda read. It's right past that. It says this. It starts in 1 John 4, verse 9. 1 John 4, verse 9, it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And then it says this, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And here's what it says, and this is the part I want to really focus on today. Okay, so I want you to get the picture it's reading here. He loved us, and so now verse 11 is going to tell us what we should do, not because of, of some obligation, but because of what he did for us. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God loves us that, that much, surely we ought to love each other. Okay, Because God has done for, for us what he's done for us, the natural response to that would be for us to love other people. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I could do about a two and a half hour message on agape love today, and I didn't want to do that, one, because you guys would all be hungry. You may even slip over into hangry. Hangry is when you're hungry and you're so hungry that you get a little ill. All right, that's hangry. You may ever slip over into that. Well, let me tell you something. I, I searched around and looked for some teaching device, and I found a cool little four-minute video that I want to show you. The video tells you what agape love is. And so I'm going to have a seat. You guys check this out. 
So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rahmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting more nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. 
So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Whenever I was a student pastor, I had to, uh, I had to deal with um, very frustrating teenage drama that usually centered around a boy liking a girl or a girl liking a boy. And a lot of times, here's what would happen. The boy would like the girl. The boy would chase the girl. The boy would catch the girl. The girl would start talking to the boy. And the boy would tell the girl that he loved her. The girl would start planning the wedding. Okay? That's what would happen. The girl would start writing her name, so-and-so, you know, whatever the last Smith, you know, if the boy's last name was Smith, it would be like, you know, whatever Smith, you know, blah, blah, Smith. They'd do it all in a notebook. They'd do it all in hearts and wedding dates and dresses and all that kind of stuff. What they didn't know is, is that the boy loved them equal amounts as he loved pizza and football, Okay? And it was all the same for the boy. The boy loved, you know, he loved, oh, I love you. And I also love food. And, you know, I, I, I love my, my new truck. And, I love, and there was no understanding of that. And that is what we oftentimes do. We use it as, as a universal thing like a bunch of teenage boys. But the reality is it's something very, very different. I want you to get something and I want you to hear this very clearly. Agape love is not a feeling. Agape love is the way we treat others. I want you to hear that again. When you hear the word agape love, it's not a feeling. It's the way we treat others. Love, you guys, is how we act, not how we feel. I want you to get that again. Love is how we act, not how we feel. And so if you can get that in your mind, then you understand that agape love that love which not only, not only brings about something to you, but that you give back. Agape love is the highest form of love that we can have. And so today I want to look at the text and I want to, I want to talk about some things that we saw. The first thing I, show, I told you, it says God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. So that we might, why? Have eternal life through him. And then it goes on to say, this is real love, not that we love God. And so God's response to, God's loving us was not a response to anything that we did. Are you with me? It wasn't something that we did. And so because God treated us that way, what the scripture says in verse 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, since he loved us enough to love us, even though we couldn't give him anything, Here's what we need to do. We need to love other people the same exact way. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. The first thing it means is this. It means that we have to receive and then we have to release. Okay? We have to receive and then we have to release. I think about this oftentimes in the form of money. In the form of money. I'm going to tell you guys something. I told you guys this last week and the week before that joy is not found. Joy is not found 
in how much we have. Joy is not found in what our bank account says, and it's not found in what kind of car we drive, and it's not found in that new house. Joy is not found there. Joy is found in relationship with others, starting with God and moving on to others. That's where joy is found. That's the joy that God brings us. And so with that knowledge then, we understand that when we receive from God, what we do is, is we connect with him. We connect with him. We also, we have this experience of grace and mercy. I don't know if it's you guys, but I oftentimes will have an experience of grace and mercy where I know in my own heart and I know in my own mind that I've screwed up. I've screwed up, yet God, I feel it. I feel it and I see it in his actions that he forgives me and he loves me. He gives me grace and he gives me mercy. I also know that for me, the fear of death no longer exists because of eternal life. And that's a huge thing that oftentimes as Christians, we just kind of blow by. But listen, you should have no fear of death because of what he says he will do and because of what he's already done. So because of all those things, because of grace and mercy, because of eternal life, because of what he's done for us, then our response, our response, when we receive, our response then is to release. Well, what does that mean? Well, when we release, we release it on to other people. We release it on to other people. Well, why do we do that for? Well, here's why we do it. We do it because that gives us a picture of what God has done for us and what he wants us to do for others. Have you ever thought about this for a second? I want you to think about this. And I know we don't ever think about this a lot, but think about this for a second. Why exactly are you here right now? Why are you here? Like, why are you here today? Like, right now, sitting here today? Why are you here? I'm not asking some grand picture. I'm asking right now today. Why are you here? Some of you may say, well, because my mom and daddy told me to come. Okay, well, that's fine. But why are you here? Why would you get up on a perfectly nice Sunday morning and come in here? Why would you do that? Why would you come in and sit in here? Here's why you do it. You do it because you want to learn more about God and you want to fellowship with other people. That's why you do it. That's why. That's why you do it. So here's my question. Why is it that you want to learn more about God and fellowship with other people? Why do you want to learn more about God? What is your end game in mind to learning more about God? What is it? Can I tell you what it is? Can I tell you what God's plan for it is? God's plan is for you to learn more about God so that then you can take that and then you can release it on to other people. That's what his plan is. That's what his plan is. I want to tell you guys this, and you can write this down if you take notes. You can't separate your love for God and your love for other people. You can't do it. You can't. You can't separate your love for God and for other people. I told you this last week. I've met people that would get up and they would preach, and that's great. They would preach and they would pound the pulpit and stuff, and they would tell people they were going to hell, and they acted like they were kind of happy about it. Are you with me? You can't separate your love for God with your love for other people. That's why when that Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? And he said, hey, listen, you love your Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind. That's what he said. The Shema is what he said. He said, here's what you're supposed to do. And everybody got that. They were like, oh, okay, great. Well, I'm doing that. And he says, oh, by the way, let me tell you something else. You're also to love others. And there's no difference. Equal. They're equal. 
Why is that? Why are they equal? Here's why. Because the message of Christ was you can't separate, you cannot separate your love for God with your love for others. But here's the truth of the matter. You can't give what you ain't got. All right? For those English majors out there. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. Now, let me tell you what you can do. You can pretend for a while. You can. You can come in here. You can pretend. You, you, we all know people that have kind of come and kind of pretended for a while. But there's been no genuine change. There's been no genuine release. A lot of times what I see in, in people and what I see in believers is they come to God and think God's Dr. Phil. All right, or they think they, they come to God because of what God can do for them. Okay, what can God do for me? What is it that I can take? What is it that I can have? And here's the truth of the matter God does want to give you good things, He does. He's not opposed to good things. We can look all through the scriptures and see that He's not opposed to good things. Here's the caveat though you have to get those good things, and then do what? You have to release those things. You have to release those things. One of the most groundbreaking things in my brain happened when I finally realized that the money that I have and the things that I have, and it happened at the tornado. Listen, it only takes one tornado in your life to, for you to figure out. And when I, for those who don't know, I'm talking about a literal tornado. Our whole home was destroyed in 1999 by a tornado. Everything was wiped away. When you've had a tornado that has hit your life, you pretty well know really quickly that none of those things matter anymore. And all of those things are the things that God gave to you to begin with. And they are. What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying your car is not yours. It's God's. He's loaned it to you for a while. Now, some of you guys have been loaned a little bit nicer car than others. Okay? Some of you have. But he's loaned it to you. What am I supposed to do with it? Well, whatever God tells you to do with it. Well, what does that mean? Well, if somebody needs a ride, you might order to pick them up. Okay? Now, I'm not telling you to be unsafe. I'm not telling you to drive down to inner city you know, Atlanta, and, 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 and start picking up people. What I'm telling you is, is I'm telling you to allow God to direct you in those things. Your house is not your own. It's not. God's loaned it to you for a while. He has. Well, what are you supposed to do with it? Well, you're supposed to open it up to other people who are in need. That's what you're supposed to do with it. Your money is not your own. It's not. Your money is not your own. Well, whose is it? Well, it's God's money, and he's loaned it to you for a while. He has. And to make sure that you don't get too connected with it, what he's done is, is he said, hey, listen, do me a favor. Take about 10% out and, and, and give it back. I don't want you to get all focused on that. But you live on the 90. And so we live on the 90 and we use it. Well, how do we use it? We use it exactly the way God says he wants us to use it. That's what we do. It's not yours. It's not yours. So your money, your car, your home, everything. Can I tell you guys something else? Your kids are not your own. They're not. You've been entrusted by raising your children in the ways of the Lord. And then you release those kids. And then it's between them and God. And you're there as a support staff. Oftentimes we come to God as like a slot machine. And the reality is that he wants to give us good things. But if you stop releasing those good things to other people, my question would be to you, what's the point? Is it for you to have a great life? Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you learn to give and you learn not to let things control you, but to let God control those things that he gives you, you'll live a great life. I'm telling you, you'll live a great life. Here's the next thing, and I've told you this about peace. I've told you about joy, and I've told you about hope. But I'm also going to tell you about love. You have to choose love. You have to choose 
love. Not only when you, when you receive, you have to release, but you have to choose love. And you know how you choose love? Well, God has to break your heart for other people. Okay? He has to break your heart for other people. And that sounds real Baptist-y, doesn't it? Break my heart, Lord. And you know what I mean? What does that even mean? Here's what it means. It means that God has to literally come in and give you a picture of what he sees when he sees other people. That's what he, that, your prayer should be, God, let me see with your eyes other people. That's what it means. You're like, well, where can I find an example of that? Well, let me show you. I'm glad you asked. Jesus had a woman in adultery thrown down in front of her, and the scripture said that she was caught in the act. I don't think it takes a rocket science to figure out that she was naked. All right? I told you before, naked means that you're, you have no clothes on. Naked means that you have no clothes on and you're doing something wrong. All right? So thrown in front. That's what it was. Thrown in front. What did Jesus do? Can I tell you what Jesus did? He loved is what he did. He loved. He loved. And he challenged those that wanted to stone her. Jesus loved the, the tax crook, Zacchaeus. He loved him. He loved him. People were shocked. Jesus loved the woman at the well. We've talked about the woman at the well before here. The woman at the well. The one that came to the well at noon. Remember at noon? You know, my wife's been to Israel, and she's been to that whole area. It's hot at noon, okay? And I'm not talking about just, hey, Georgia heat. I'm talking about Israel heat. Are you with me? Samaria heat. It's hot at noon. Well, why did she come by herself at noon? Well, because she was probably scorned, and we find out later on that she was scorned. She was more of an outcast, and Jesus confronted that, but he loved her first. And so what I'm telling you is, is that you have to be intentional with love. If you want to have the highest form of love, the agape love, you have to be intentional with that. I want to tell you the truth here. Every day you can choose to love or not love, and it's your option. It's your option. You don't have, I mean, it's your option. God's don't come down and put a microchip in you and say, hey, you're going to be a robot and go around loving people. People probably wouldn't respond to that anyway because you wouldn't come across genuine. You have to choose love. How do you choose love? Well, let me tell you how you choose love. The first way you choose love is you overlook a fault by somebody. There are people in your life that have done you wrong. There are people in your life that, that, haven't, that haven't been as nice to you as they need to be. There's people in your life that have maybe done things wrong to you. Can I tell you something? When you overlook a, look a fault, you are showing agape love to those people. You know what it is? It's called mercy. Mercy is what that is. You're giving them mercy and you're giving them grace. That's what you're doing. Well, what else? Loving the unlovable is another way. And they talked about that on the video. Loving the unlovable. Can I be honest with you guys tell you something? Some people just make this really difficult for me. Okay? Is everybody with me? Some people get on my nerves. You know what I mean? It's funny because we don't talk about that a lot in church. But hey, I know some people get on your nerves too. Okay? And they drive you crazy. And you're like, God, I know you told me to love other people. But I don't think you've met this guy. All right? I don't think you understand what I'm going through. I don't think you get it. Some people make that very difficult to do. Some people make it difficult. But can I tell you something? More than likely in that person's past, there's a reason why that loving them has become difficult. 
they probably have experienced things that you and I haven't experienced, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. They've probably experienced things that have made it difficult. And so what they're probably doing is, is their behavior, their behavior, no one has ever taken a time to love them. They just push them out of the way and move on to the next person. And if God brings someone like that in your path, there's a huge sign that he's sending you saying, love this other person and show him who I am. And that's what our job is. That's what our job is. The video referenced this as well. Loving those who can do, can't do anything for you. Loving those that can't do anything for you. I love, I love that the scripture talks about how we are to love people that cannot give back to us. Do you know how easy it is to love those people that do something for us? It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to do that. But that's not what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus, as an example to you and I, he came and he loved other people that could do nothing for him. And he did it out loud in a big way. Nothing for him. Nothing for him. And I know this has never entered your mind before. But think about this for a second. Jesus asked you to love other people who can do nothing for you. Because that's exactly what he did for you. Because you can do nothing for him. And he loved you anyway. And that's what he's asking for us to do. That's what he's asking for us to do, you guys. He's asking for that. Luke 6, chapter 32, uh, chapter, Luke chapter 6, verse 32 through 36 says this. It says, and, and I love this, it says, listen, if you lo- only love those who, uh, who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to only those who do good for you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money to only those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Isn't that amazing? It says here, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Let's go to the next one. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So who's your enemies? Who is your enemies? I have a feeling some of your enemies may be someone that thinks politically different than you do. I have a feeling that someone who's your enemy may have voted different than you do. I have a feeling some of your enemies may be people that think that this mask is a political statement. (laughs) It's not. It's a mask. (laughs) You can get it for like three bucks at Walmart. It's not. It's it's, it's not a political statement. It's a mask. You you may think that your enemies are people that have treated you wrong. You may think that your enemies are, are people, and I could go on and on and on and on and on. And you're like, listen, Bear, it's hard, man. That's hard. It's really hard. I can't deal with that. I can't deal with people like that. All I know is, is that Jesus came in the city, and right as he's coming in the city, they're, they're waving palm branches. And a week later, some of the people that were there are the ones that were shouting, crucify him. 
And Jesus could have called down an army of angels to save him, and he didn't do it. He submitted himself. Why? So that you and I could have eternal life. So my thought is, if he can do that, surely you can befriend a Democrat or a Republican. Are you with me? Surely you can befriend them. Surely you can. Surely you can be nice to them. Surely you can be compassionate to them. I'm going to tell you guys something, and I've told you this before. I've never seen anybody's mind changed on Facebook. All right? I've never seen a post where some guy goes off and on Facebook or social media, on Twitter, and he comes back and he says, You know what? That guy that was ranting and raving at me, he's right. I'm wrong. I repent. I've never seen that happen. And so I want you to think to yourself right now. I want you to think to yourself right now. How did you come here? How did you come to this place? How did you come here? You want to know how I came here? Here's how I came here. I went to a new high school. I didn't go to church a lot growing up, okay? My brothers went a little more than I did. Uh, I think my parents just kind of gave out by the time I, I was there. They were like, you know what? I We're wore out, man. We're just tired. We just want to rest, all right? And so we didn't go a lot to church. We didn't. And so whenever I, whenever I moved back, I was, in, I was in that foreign country that I talked about last week, Ohio, all right, we moved to a foreign country up north, and, uh, and then we, we came back down here after three years. And when we came back down here, I went to a school, and I had a connection friend that was at that school. And that connection friend introduced me to this girl, and this girl was super nice. And I'm going to be all transparent with you, okay? This girl is really good looking, too. I'm not going to sit here and act like that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I was like, I, 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 was, I was befriending her, you know what I'm saying? And so we talked, and, and I, I, got, I went over to her house one night. And it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Uh, they invited me over for dinner. I go over for dinner, and there is, uh, there is, uh, they had this really nice fish that I wouldn't really, I had, I had never eaten a salad in my life, by the way, until Wendy and I got married. So, and I can say these things about this girl because she introduced Wendy and I. So, uh, FYI, but, but I, uh, um, I had never eaten a salad in my life, and they had all this cool bread, and I'd, ever eat, I'd really, the only fish I'd ever eaten in my life was catfish fried with French fries and hush puppies. Are you with me? And maybe a little coleslaw. That's all I've ever had. So we went over there, and they're sitting there, and they're at the table eating, and they got their Bibles open, and they're talking. And I didn't know anything about that. And so I just kind of sit in the corner. Literally, in the corner of the cabin, I would sit up there, and I just listened. And I was like, I hope to God they don't ask me anything. And they didn't. And the next time I went over there, they did the same thing. And then they invited me to come to church. And I went to church. And I was rough around the edges. Still am a little bit. But I was rough around the edges really bad then. And so I went to church. And when I went to church, uh, they kind of left me alone. They just kind of loved me. They just kind of, you know. And, uh, and the guy was like, hey, you have any questions? And I was like, no, no, not really. And so that went on for four, five, six, eight, ten months, a year, year and a half. And finally, one day, he sat down with me and he shared the gospel with me. And I would love to tell you that I immediately accept Christ and, and, and I was baptized and, you know, I followed Jesus ever since. But that's not true either. It took a whole other year. It took me two and a half years to accept Christ. So for two and a half years, I was their little project, I think. I'm still friends with them today, but I was their project and they loved me. They loved me over and over and over and over and over again. And they overlooked my rap music. Listen, I love rap music. I still do love rap music, but I don't tell people. <laughs> but I, 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 I love rap music. I loud music, and, you know, I was obnoxious and all this. And they loved me. And they loved me, and they loved me, and they loved me. 
And finally, I accepted Christ. That's how I came to Christ. I wasn't yelled into Christ. I wasn't disagreed with into Christ. I wasn't scorned into Christ. I didn't come to Christ because I was afraid to go to hell. I was brought to Christ because someone loved me. That's exactly what we're to do to other people. And I'm going to tell you why that's what we're to do to other people. And it's my final point, and it's this. We're to love others and leave the rest to God. Okay? We're to love others and leave the rest to God. One of the things I love about Billy Graham is he had this quote, and I've never forgotten this quote. I heard this quote 20-something years ago, and I've never forgotten it. And it's this. God judges, the Holy Spirit convicts, and I am to love. I want you to write that down. God judges, the Holy Spirit convicts, and I am to love. God judges, the Holy Spirit convicts, and I am to love. Now, I want to clarify something for you. What does that not mean? Okay, what does that not mean? Okay, here's what that does not mean. That does not mean that you do not have the right to not call out biblical truths found in the scriptures that we know are the truth. Okay? All right? That doesn't mean that. Look, you know me. I'm not going to not call out biblical things. When we go through a text of scripture, we go through the text of scripture and what it says is what we follow. Doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. It also doesn't mean that you don't have hard conversations with people that you're close to that may not go as well as you hope. We can have hard conversations with people, okay? A lot of us have been confused about what love is in our society, okay? I'm going to tell you something. If you have a child and you don't discipline that child, if you don't tell that child hard things, if they're doing things and you don't love them enough to tell them hard things, then you actually don't love them at all. If, if my son or daughter are doing things that I know go against biblical principles and I don't go and talk to them about it, then I am worse than they are because I should love them enough to tell them the truth. And that's what our role is as parents. But once again, Jesus wouldn't call out sin on Facebook. He just wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. And we've all been guilty of this. I am the number one guilty of this. I've been guilty of this. And you have too because I've seen your posts and I follow you. So, what is it? If that's not what it is, what is it? Here's what it is. It's seeing past someone's situation. That's what it is. It's seeing past someone's situation. It's looking past someone's situation and and thinking to yourself, maybe their experience wasn't like mine. You know, I want to tell you something. Do you guys know why the first year of marriage is supposed to be the most difficult year of marriage? Because two people who've lived totally different experiences are coming together and trying to figure out how to fold a towel. And whether or not you put the cap on the toothpaste or whether, you, whether you're a middle toothpaste squeezer or you go from the bottom up. That's the deal. That's why it's so hard. Or whether or not you fry a hamburger this way or that way. Or how often you pick up your clothes or how often you wash the dishes or how, who washes the dishes and who mows the yard. That's why it's so hard. Because you got two people coming from two very different areas and two different experiences. They've lived different experiences as what's normal for them is not necessarily normal for you. Let me give you a good point. My wife has read every children's book that was ever created on earth. 
I've read two. Okay? I did. I think I had a Curious George, and I know I had the one where it's the scary kind of ape-looking guy. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but you, the more you pull it over, it's got little things, little holes all through it. I also had the little caliper, so I read three. Those three are what I remember in my brain. So when we had our son, she was like, oh, we need to get him books. And I was like, okay, let's get him some books. What for? Oh, he's got to have books to read. And so we had a library. We had, a, we had to buy furniture to hold these books. And I'm reading him books and not going, it's a pretty good book, man. Never read this. I'm 33 years old. I'm going to read this book, man. It's pretty exciting. I wonder what's going to happen next. That's the difference. Can I tell you something? People that you encounter on the street, people that you encounter are fighting battles that you know nothing about. They are dealing with struggles and trials that you know nothing about. I want to guarantee you something. When you go to day to lunch, there's not one person that I've ever met that said, I think I want to be a waitress for my whole life. Not one person. That's my life ambition is to be a waitress at Texas Roadhouse or wherever you go. They are there to provide a means to provide for their family or maybe to go to school or maybe to, and I could go on and on and on and on and on. So if that person comes in today and is rude to you a little bit or doesn't fill your tea up as soon as you, as quick as you think it needs to be, do me a favor. Don't be a jerk. Look past that. Look past that. Let's be honest here. Do we really need that much tea? Do we really need that much water that we can't wait another five minutes until she comes back around? What am I saying here? Here's what I'm saying. The way, the way we respond to people, we have to see past and look a little deeper than just the surface. Because most people, listen, most people look at the surface and they quickly judge and they move on. That's what they do. But Jesus was walking down the street and he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down, I want to have dinner with you tonight. Jesus looked at the lady laying on the ground and people with stones in their hand and says, well, let whoever has no sin cast the first stone. Do you know the only person that had the right to cast the stone was Jesus himself? Jesus looked at the woman in the well and sees past the fact that it's hot. It's probably 100 degrees and she's carrying buckets of water back because she couldn't go to the well with all the other ladies that came early in the morning when it was cool because she was shamed because she had numerous husbands and the man she was living with right now was not her husband he looked past that and you know what happened in every situation healing happened wholeness happened repent happened that's the love that Jesus wants us to have for other people and that's the love and that's the reason why Christ came as a baby in a manger. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for who you are. God, I'm blown away by the love that you give us and that you show us, Lord. I'm blown away by the fact that you pour this love onto us and yet we oftentimes...
We'll listen to a sermon. We will take notes. We will write things down. But then we go out and we live our lives on our own, by our own way. We live our lives in our own way. We live our lives all for us. God, let us be reminded. Let us be reminded that we are to receive from you. And then we are to give that out. We are to receive and then release. Receive and then release. That's, that's what we're to do. And so, God, I pray that you would allow us as a church to do that. I pray that you would allow us as a church to love other people. God, let you be the judge. Let Holy Spirit convict people. God, all we're to do is love. We're to love other people. We're to love other people and stand on biblical truth. That's what draws people. That's what draws people to the cross. So my prayer is, is that when we leave here, we would have on the forefront of our minds to love others unconditionally with, with, with grace and with mercy. Let it be, Lord. It's in the strong and mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and have a final worship song this morning. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then, God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.